Hello and welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. I'm your host Ben Porter and I'm joined this Independence Day by Matt Coward from the University of York's Sociology Department. Did I get it right? Yeah, that's absolutely great. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing very well. How's yourself? Yes, not too bad, thank you. Ready for uh, well, what tomorrow brings after Independence Day. No one knows. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it didn't it didn't end well for for us, did it? No, not really, not at all. <laughs> but but this end this Independence Day can. So fingers crossed. So There's always hope. I, I mean, I'm biased, but I would say that I prefer this Independence Day to the American one. Apologies to all our American listeners, but uh, I've got to agree with you there. But I, I don't want to I don't want to turn this into a politics show. So maybe we. Yeah. We'd best push back that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another time, maybe. So so our listeners are probably wondering why we've got the sociology department for the University of York on the show. So w- would you like to explain what it is in particular you're doing at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before I was a sociologist, I was a gamer. Shock horror. Um I, I've, I, I started gaming kind of many moons ago and I decided to combine my love of writing and love of research with love of gaming. So I'm currently doing my PhD at the University of York in their Department of Sociology and I'm doing an ethnographic study of tabletop gaming, which is kind of about going out and speaking to people in the community and finding out what exactly is tabletop gaming in the UK today. It, it sounds very impressive, I must say. Um, but we'll we'll look into the your your research project a little bit later in the podcast. But first of all, you let, let's talk a bit more about Matt Coward, the gamer. You you, you mentioned just there that um, that you you've been into tabletop gaming for a while. So why don't you tell us where your your love affair with tabletop gaming began? Yeah, well. It's, it's an interesting one because for me, tabletop gaming actually began in kind of quite heavy pen and paper role-playing games. Um, mm-hmm. my, uh, when I started senior school, about 11 years old, my, um, my history teacher was a role-player um, and a Warhammer player, and he had had this home-brewed RPG system that he'd been working on for the past 20, 25 years. Um, and we created characters for that world me and a group of our friends he ran it for us once a week um and we had all kinds of adventures and the beautiful thing about that that role-playing world is you you live on so even as i've gone away my character still lives in his world like the last time i saw my character i was i was rolled up and tied in a carpet rolling down a hill towards a river so i I might be dead in that world i don't know but i'm not (laughs) yeah yeah so kind of from there i went into mini gaming and then kind of full circle back mainly towards board gaming i still i still do some um uh, pen and paper role-playing game being not as much as i want to but yeah for me it's kind of it's it's mainly about the board games now sure so you you're you're a board gamer we've we've now established that um play some of the tabletop rpgs what prompted you to do a study on the wider board gaming community yeah i think it's it's an interesting one because for for me they they tell you always to research what you know 
and I know about games. I really enjoy playing games. I am what we might call in academia an insider in the in the community. So I don't need to go and get in there before I can get started. And I think for me, yeah. tabletop games just have this amazing way of bringing people together and kind of fostering kind of communities in line, online and in person. And they're just, um, they're, there's something really interesting about that for me, um, about the way we can form relationships within gaming and external to gaming with gamers and kind of what that, um, what that says about gamers as people and what that then can speak back to kind of wider society. It's kind of going to end up saying what tabletop gaming is doing really well that everyone else could be better at. <laughs> so obviously, from a sociological perspective, it is of interest to, to your department. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a big push of kind of um, sociology of it kind of falls into kind of cultural sociology, um, community studies, that kind of area. Um, so it is valuable because of its the nature of it being a growing community. Like we've seen a massive rise over the past decade in tabletop gaming. Uh-huh. We're seeing lots of uh, new games coming out. Some people might say too many. Some people might say not enough. But uh, <laughs> they're, they're, it's absolutely fantastic. And to see kind of the 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 love and passion that people have for these games especially in the uk because we are not we're we're not a front runner in kind of the number of games we release per year in comparison to places like the united states or central europe but Mm -hmm. we we have a very distinctive community in the uk i think and that that sits a little bit differently to tabletop gaming in the rest of the world what what do you think it is that makes the 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 UK tabletop community stand out from from the rest. Oh, that's an interesting one. It's yeah, uh, it's very holistic. It's very holistic, okay. and I'm not sure. I'm I'm not quite rooted out why I think that is yet. But it's amazing to go to um, events and see people just wanting to get stuck in. Kind of, mm-hmm. There's no, uh, I, I, I've seen very little kind of belittling, very little, um, even even like anger. Everyone is just very happy, very pleasant, very jovial. They're enjoying themselves and they're engaging in kind of, in this digital age, a, a form of kind of leisure and recreation kind of play that, that isn't as traditional as we might see it now. Uh-huh. So, so given given your position as a researcher, you you're perhaps paying a little bit more attention to uh, trends and habits within the culture than um, than some of the rest of us are. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let's hope so, anyway, right? Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But, uh, yeah, but um, what what in particular do you attribute the the rise and rise of the popularity of tabletop gaming in, in recent years? Yeah, it, I, I think crowdfunding has had a big impact on the industry. Um, crowdfunding has taken it from those just being those large-scale producers to anyone. Anyone can go out and they can create a game and they can play test it and they can get it to a point and say, right, I want to produce this. Mm-hmm. I was watching uh, uh, Aaron Dean's um, 
documentary the other day and it was saying kind of the the way in which the Kickstarter industry has allowed the growth of tabletop gaming is because even if only 500 people across the world want to play a certain game, they now have the ability to. 500 copies can be a pretty healthy print run for a Kickstarter game that wouldn't hit kind of the large scales of mass manufacture from what we see from like Hasbro and X games like that out of Katon Studios. Yeah. yeah, particularly I think if if you're just one guy, you you can now do that. Whereas bef- beforehand, like you say, and and th- th- this I suppose applies to to Kickstarter in the broader sense. You know, be that for video games, tech, whatever. Is that one guy or or girl who has one very niche idea can can pitch that to the internet, yeah. and then all of the people to whom this very niche idea appeals who are spread out across the globe can form their own little community, get together, and say, "Yeah, we're all going to play this." You know, it doesn't have to go to uh, one of the big dogs like like Hasbro, yeah. or, you know, or, or people like that anymore. No, absolutely, and it's it's great to see kind of these smaller um, smaller runs, and then for games of all shapes and sizes, like we still on Kickstarter, we get. We get huge hitters like Cool Mini or Not, um, Zombicide in Space, whatever they're doing now. I forgot. Yeah. Um, down to kind of these small, small, tiny box games that are only a few cards, but are so intuitive in their play. I backed one that's just finished called uh, Crypt. It looks absolutely fascinating. It's just a, it's a, it's a nine. It was a nine quid game of Grave Robin. What more could you want? It's. I, I don't. I don't know what more I could want. <laughs> I could, you, you, all the fun of barking here on the tabletop. Absolutely. In one pack of cards, there you go. All the fun with uh, out the corporal punishment as well. That makes yeah, it's a more appealing. <laughs> and you don't actually have to touch corpses. Yeah, yeah, that that is a yeah, that is a bad thing, isn't it? Or is it? I, I think so. I, I I mean, I can't really <laughs> ha- having never touched the corpse. I can't really answer that question. But <laughs> well, my other area of research interest is um, death. I write a lot on death and gaming and death and play and how they interact. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested about how we how we look and think and talk about death within the settings of games as well, which is uh, really interesting. Um, there's a couple of games at the moment that are doing that quite well and kind of really starting conversations about that, like um, uh, This War of Mine that came out last year on Tabletop based on the uh, PC game that came out a few yeah. and the, the kind of beautiful intricate narrative in their book of stories that provides so many kind of interesting opportunities for like reflection and, and the chance to um, think a bit deeper about the situations in kind of war and uh, sieges etc well if if you want a game to play that makes the players want to die I, I can recommend playing zombies okay is that what uh, in a good way or a bad way in a, in a bad way it is a horrendous experience I, I take it you've never played it uh no i haven't had the displeasure it seems right okay well you're not missing much <laughs> uh, we 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 played it one morning I, I say one morning it was i think it was about three in the morning because we'd stayed up all night playing games and yeah we, we got to this point where we were just like you know, will, will this ever end? Yeah. It was torturous. Yeah. It's one of those things, though, you see, like, the massive fads as well. And if I was looking at my shelf the other day, because with UKGE coming up, I was like, oh, what am I going to take to the bring and buy? And I was there, and I was looking, and I was like, I've got a lot of Cthulhu. There's only so much Cthulhu that one man can have, and maybe yeah. some of this Cthulhu to to be parted. And it's the same kind of, we had a, we had a 
a spate of zombie games about two two and a bit years ago as well, didn't we? Around the time yeah. Dead of Winter um, came out, and it, yeah, and there although they were all sort of jumping on the the, the bandwagon for that trend, there's a, like a huge variance in, in quality there. Yeah. But it was interesting you saying about Cthulhu because uh, Josh and myself were having a conversation about this the other night. I love Lovecraft, okay? Like yeah. I've, I've got the um, the big collector's edition Necronomicon on my shelf with all the collected stories. Yeah. Um, I I am a huge fan of the Arkham Horror living card game. Yeah. Um, I'm pl- currently playing through the, the Dunwich Cycle and I love it. It's fast becoming one of my favourite games of all time. But what, one of the things we were talking about was how there, there's so much Lovecraft out there at the moment. Um, yeah. And a lot of it's not very good, it has to be said. But it's like you say, that, that people are obviously realising it's popular yeah. and, and they're tacking that theme on there. Because the same could be said about um, A Song of Ice and Fire, you know, that series of books, because it, it's medieval fantasy. It, it doesn't really stand out in terms of that. Like, if you just describe the world, the setting to someone, you just be like, okay, that, that sounds pretty generic. But I think mm. where it stands out is in the way that it's told. And I, I say that to say yeah. that I, I think that's what where games like uh, the Arkham Horror living card game or like use the example of Dead of Winter, which I've not played but I've heard very good things about, is th- they take something that's been done to death, but they tell it in an mm. interesting way. And I think that's interesting. There's something there between kind of the narrative of it and what you can take from the story. Because I, I enjoy the I enjoy the Arkham Horror living card game a lot as well because you can you can add your own story onto it. But uh-huh. sometimes you play a game and um, it feels very tacked on. It's like it's like Cthulhu's got Velcro on the back and he could be easily replaced with a fart, <laughs> or he could be replaced with a zombie, or he could be replaced with the I don't know what the next fad might be a fire truck, whatever. It's kind of yeah. they can they can just be pawned. It's like um, uh, multi universum. I really enjoy multi universum as a game. I think it works really well. It's snappy, it's quick, it's um, simple with a lot of strategy. They brought out a Project Cthulhu expansion. Why? (laughs) Yeah. You've created all this beautiful, bespoke art of all these strange and interesting worlds for this game of kind of um, onion-headed men and women roaming through with carrying spears and stuff like that. It's just so... It's already weird fiction that you don't need to then bring out an expansion that has kind of the godfather of weird fiction in it as well. Yeah, the, there's a lot of the, the tacked on stuff at the moment. I think there's actually a pandemic Cthulhu. I've not played it, so I don't know whether it's in any good or not, but that one struck me as a... Uh, uh, do, do we need pandemic Cthulhu? But... I think it does something quite interesting. It's beautiful looking as well. I painted my set, which is rare for me because I usually don't paint at all. Um but uh, the, the, the way it's set up, you almost have this um, almost Ouija board layout of Elder Gods at the top that had different effects that, that come up during what would be uh, okay. during play. And it adds something new. And I think a lot of the pan- – because this, this pandemic – everything now isn't they? Um, yeah. Pan- pandemic – there's Rising Tide and there's Iberia – and there's obviously the In the Labs expansions and the original Pandemic and the Legacies. Yeah, it's, it's big. Yeah, it's like, big. I am expecting kind of a My First Pandemic announcement soon because the other thing I'm seeing a lot of at the moment is kids' versions of games. My little, uh, my first Scythe, my first Stone Age of 
uh, are coming out and things like that. So uh, if it, if we had gotten my first pandemic, you heard it here first. There you go. Matt, Matt Coward ahead of the curve. <laughs> so going back to your research, what, what does the day-to-day application of your research look like it's it's quite interesting um i'm i i take what what we call in sociology as an interpretivist approach which means like unlike a scientist who'll create hypotheses about what they believe will happen or what they believe is the case and will try and prove them or disprove them i i go in and collect the data and then see what comes up from it so i'm i'm trying not to add my inherent biases on that um, so for me, I think things that are really coming out for me at the moment are kind of um, community membership, um, really interested in kind of bespoke production and this idea of people inside the industry making things for other people inside the industry and the kind of cyclical nature of kind of not only crowdfunding, but also kind of media producers, even like yourselves, um, and even people like funding gaming spaces and board game cafes around the country. Um, so, so at the moment, it's kind of toying through, toying through that, and just uh, trying to talk to as many different people as possible, trying to get as many different opinions to try and get that representation of tabletop gaming in the UK. Like, I am as average in terms of a participant to a study you will ever see. I am a twenty-something, bearded, overweight white man. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm, I'm so average. It's. <laughs> It's unbelievable, but um, it's kind of trying to make sure that all voices are being heard, and uh-huh. as such, I'm encouraging anyone. I, I I don't mind what your opinion on tabletop gaming is whatsoever. I'd just like to hear it. Yeah, it, it's more. That's quite an interesting thing. Like you say, it, it's not so much about you necessarily wading in and trying to offer a different perspective. In a lot of ways, you're doing the opposite of what we're doing where we're basically wading in and going, this is our opinion, this is what we think on this thing, whereas you're standing <laughs> back and writing everything that happens down. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. Like, it's great because for, for data collection, like, I don't know any other academics currently that could say that their data collection is going and meeting great new people at conventions or at game days just sitting down and playing games with them and having a chat. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't I do not do these formal interviews. I, I, I prefer much kind of like a conversational approach, much like what we're doing now, um, just seeing where the conversation goes. Absolutely. Because it'll inevitably go to where we're interested in. Yeah. So you, you mentioned conventions there. And from, from what I've underst- understood from when we've briefly spoken uh, prior to doing the, the interview today, Attending conventions is a big part of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's kind of uh, the the gaming festivals, aren't they? In so, in, a, in a way, they're the they're the big um, the big events in the calendar year of of tabletop gaming. So so um, they're really important. Uh, I've gone to a couple already. I've got a few more planned for the rest of this year. I was at Aircon um, earlier this year, and then. Uh, we met up at uh, Compulsion yep. in Edinburgh, um, and then I've got Tabletop Scotland in September, which I'm really looking forward to, actually. Um, I think it's going to be really nice to see a convention in its first year 
and just see what the um, see what's happening up there. I think it'll be really good. Yeah. Uh, and then a couple more that I'm not. I want to go to more than I can. I think is where I'm at at the moment. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I think uh, seven conventions a year is a bit much for anyone. <laughs> but it's it sounds like a challenge to me. <laughs> Well, that's what we like. We're all about challenging ourselves and self-improvement through gaming, which is another fantastic aspect of gaming. is is what it does for kind of what it does for people, the players, confidence and problem-solving abilities, and kind of the whole educational value of tabletop gaming as well is a huge other area that my work doesn't even really touch on. But it's it's there and it's clear to see, and there's so much evidence that says yeah actually playing games helps people learn oh definitely i think so it's something that i I would like to see um being rolled out in schools a bit more i don't know i imagine someone somewhere has plans to do something like that but i dare say that it has especially i think uh in the development of uh, of of kids and young adults, I, I think it has tremendous value. Or, e- or even to be honest, um, uh, I imagine in like uh, uh, prisons, rehabilitation facilities, and things like that as well. There's a um, colleague in Ireland, Republic of Ireland, actually, who's doing some work on the use of board gaming in prisons at the moment. But I'm not 100 percent sure if she has started that yet. I, I haven't spoke to her. In- in, in quite a while, but I will. I'll have to find out if she's if she's managed to make a start of that yet, and I'll, I'll let you know. That sounds very <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I'd be quite interested in speaking to her actually, because yeah, that's a whole other level of consideration because there's certain game components that you wouldn't be allowed to to have there as well. Absolutely, yeah, and then it becomes what is what's the aim of the game within a prison setting? Uh-huh. So what what's the purpose of the game? Because obviously, what what you what my personal opinion would be is that actually what we should be doing is using cooperative games as team building exercises and and kind of things like that. And so different games offer different values to different people, I think. And that's, again, something that's really powerful with tabletop gaming is there is something for everyone. Definitely. So we've talked quite a bit about um, the the application of of board gaming in a, in a positive sense uh, in terms of community and things like that, um, but when you spend as much time as you have observing these communities, you you must you must surely become aware of uh, of like negative trends uh, and and some you know some not so constructive behavior is is there anything within your research that that you've noticed about board gaming communities that you think has to change i think i think there's something coming up that's really quite interesting i think there's two things actually one is very positive that within convention settings i've been next to no unwanted behavior and i think that not only is is very good for the community um on the community but it also just shows how well managed and how well organized these events are um and the time and effort that a predominantly kind of volunteer workforce put in to make these things happen it's wonderful to see um, I think a lot of it that's coming up for me, though, is this idea of kind of widening participation in tabletop gaming. You know, we've all got this 
stereotypical image of a gamer uh-huh. kind of lurks around in the media, which is which is the same as kind of general like geek culture in uh, uh, double uh, speech marks that I'm, that I'm doing that you can't see. It's <laughs> 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 this stereotypical figure of oh, what is a gamer? Oh, well, a, a gamer is a white bloke of a certain age. That's probably yeah, the neck beard type of thing, isn't it? You know, so many people have said neck beard, and it's made me really conscious that my beard goes down my neck, and, and that's kind of worrying. <laughs> oh, Matt, that you know that wasn't directed at you. I don't know. I hope I'm not. <laughs> I, I think I think the neck beard is supposed to Im- imply uh, slovenliness of appearance mm-hmm. more than anything else. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I don't think you fall in, into the neck beard category. I wouldn't worry about that. But I think what's quite interesting is speaking to a lot of different people. It's um, it's this idea that they're all very conscious of trying to engage with other communities to bring them into tabletop gaming, like um, uh, uh, like black communities and LGBT communities, um, and uh, working with um, disabled individuals to make board games more accessible for them but i think a lot of what i've discovered is that although there's the want and the um the passion and the drive to kind of do that it's just almost like um that they're, they're not quite equipped with the um how do, how do you phrase that it's not it's it's kind of like um it, it's not the correct not the correct terminology just not quite enough understanding of of these communities to be able to properly engage with them there's maybe a, a combination of a a lack of understanding and tact yeah. perhaps yeah and i don't i i think that is probably it's like uh, i was speaking to um someone quite a while back and they were talking about a, a trans individual um and they misgendered them uh when they were talking about them uh-huh. and that's kind of that's that's kind of off-putting for individuals to be misgendered it makes them feel uncomfortable and it's just that recognition of kind of it's just that recognition that actually oh i can make this person feel more welcome if if i adopt this gender pronoun to speak to them for example or when sure with them and it's just things like that i don't think there's any there's no malice in it whatsoever it's just um yeah it's just that lack of knowledge that lack of knowledge but you can only get that knowledge from active engagement with the community so it's kind of a, a, a six of one half a dozen of the other really um, I think I think it's maybe worth saying there for for anyone um, from from whatever demographic you happen to be something offensive. More often than not, it's coming from a place of ignorance rather than malice. Yeah, and I I, I completely agree with you there. And just to kind of follow that up, I think something also that works really well is when you you do speak to these people about these issues, and you do kind of maybe not pull them up on it, but just you know kind of mention oh you could say this instead this is this is a better way of approaching that topic they're really accepting of it and they want to know and i think some somewhere in there and i've got no evidence to prove this at all but we read that many rule books for that many complex games we're so used to getting rules wrong that we're happy to accept someone correcting us and that's what it feels like for me anyway that's that's a great way of saying it i think i i've actually been pulled up for um for misgendering someone before and uh, I was quietly corrected, and and then we moved on from there. And um, I, I just apologise because it was a genuine mistake. Because it's a very human thing to just make yeah. assumptions about someone based on appearance. And I, again, I don't think there's any malice in that. And I think that 
Um, I think everyone needs to to take a step towards the middle when it comes to to educating yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is something actually that uh, American conventions do a lot better than we do um, with kind of the lanyards, with the banners, uh, the the banner stickers that go on the bottom of the lanyards of kind of you get ones like uh, Heavy Cardboard have one and uh, Gamer Pride for LGBT gamers. Um, and I've seen them there just with kind of pronoun markers. So hi, I'm Matt. I I use he him. They're my pronouns. But normalizing okay. that. So the people that maybe don't have a pronoun that that was their birth gender is there. It it makes everyone feel less awkward you know where you stand with that you know how to speak to them and there's it's yeah it's little things like that but i think yeah as as we've been saying no malice whatsoever from what i've seen i can only stress that enough and if you anyone has had experiences like that that they feel comfortable talking about it'd be great to speak to you but um i think there's a real people the community is really trying to engage with those um the, a diverse range of communities and trying to kind of make gaming a equal, wholesome, family-friendly environment. Yeah, and like you say, perhaps it's been done a little bit clumsily, but um, I, I feel like it is important to to stress here that um, that mo- most of that isn't isn't done out of uh, out of malice. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because you, I, I have seen like some people on Twitter and things like that reacting quite quite badly to to similar misunderstandings and situations, and and I feel like if a a little bit of tolerance was exercised on both sides, it, I, I dare say it, it would uh, diffuse a lot of uh, such situations. Well, it's the same. We see it within within the context of games as well. It's kind of how can we expect these individ- the, these communities who want to engage with tabletop games to play games where there's no representation of them. It's kind of the, the, the big thing at the moment about kind of the lack of women in any form of ethnic diversity in a lot of um, card games and board games themselves in players and characters, etc. Like... One, I can't remember which company on Kickstarter it was, but they made having a female playable character a stretch goal. And it, <laughs> what is that? It's yeah. not a stretch goal. Like, is, is it really that? Like, you, you have four base characters there that all have four very distinctive artwork. Could you not have just made one of those a woman? Or could you not have just put the kick, put the stretch goal woman in there and made one of the extra men a stretch goal? It's just... It's silly things like that. And I think yeah. a lot of the time, again, I don't think it's coming from a bad place. I think it's just coming from a, maybe we've not thought about this enough. Maybe we just need to think this through a touch more. So the the female characters was something I, I will admit I used to grumble about, about like, you know, why is this such a big deal? But then when I sat down and thought about it uh, and thought about it, from what my perspective would be if I was that person, I I really immerse myself in the story of a game so that when I play a game, I, I view my my character as as my avatar. It's almost like a little extension yeah. of myself. So more often than not, I I will play a, a male character when I play an MMO yeah. or something like that. And then like I'll you know I'll loosely maybe base them in my appearance mm. or whatever so when i when i 
I thought about it that way that for everyone else, it's not just me that sees that, that sees these characters as an extension of myself. So it it is important to have characters that are relatable to other people so that they can engage in the same way Mm. that I can. And when I thought about it from that perspective, I was like, right, okay, I I, I don't have any problem with that then. I, I can't begrudge someone wanting to engage in a game in the same way that I like to yeah. engage with it. And that's the thing. And then it's not just a quality within the community. It's a quality in the gameplay itself. It's it's great. It's just getting to that point where everyone is on an equal and level footing and everyone is receiving the same amount of enjoyment from a game as possible. Um, and yeah. are, all feel kind of comfortable in the environment they're playing in. It's it's just what we what we want, and uh, it, it, that's not to say there's. I'm in no way saying that tabletop gaming is a bad environment. It's great. It's it's very good, but it could be even better. Yeah, I think so. So I I feel like we may have already touched upon this, but is there a desired outcome for for this research that you're undertaking? Oh, in in what kind of way? Obviously, you you get a qualification at the end of this, <laughs> but but from the sociological perspective, yeah, what 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 would you like to see come from your research? Well, what what I'm doing at the moment, so I'm I'm planning on doing field work until February next year, um, and then what I'd like to do is spend another year going around conventions, um, hopefully doing kind of seminars and talks and chatting with people and actually sitting down and saying this is what I've found this is what I think about it and what do you think about it and open it back up I want it to be kind of a continuing dialogue I don't just want to go in and get my data and then run away like a goblin in a corner and read it it's it's that kind of um, feeding back and I think at the end of it I I obviously will have to produce um, a thesis and I'll probably make that into a book but I also want to speak that back to the community. And if I can produce a guide of some form or kind of a short book that talks about tabletop gaming in the UK and gives a bit of context to it and gives some kind of top 10 tips of, of being an inclusive gamer and things like that, I think that'd be, that'd be perfect for me. If I can, if I can affect, if my research can lead to anyone having a positive experience in tabletop gaming that that's what i want to see uh yeah i i think that was quite eloquently put because um, <laughs> well, i feel like yeah. I'm on. <laughs> no i i think that yeah just want everyone to have a positive experience in tabletop gaming what what more could anyone want yeah no absolutely and it's it's that's the thing i i was a, i'm a gamer before i'm a sociologist and i'm i'm passionate yeah. about that and like gaming has done, I met my now fiance playing games. Our, our relationship blossomed through through playing games together. And um, the first game we bought together was uh, Dead of Winter. It's still in our collection. It's kind of that uh-huh. we 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 have a like we're playing a lot of Azul together at the moment, and that's our it's our thing. We play games with other people as well, but that's how we mm-hmm. spend our leisure time. Yeah. Well, there we go. So. Um, yeah, we, we covered a lot of ground there. I feel like <laughs> bit of a whistle stop yeah. tour. 
No, I, I, that was good. I, I really enjoyed that. Matt, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I dare say we'll be hearing from you in the future. Hopefully. Don't, <laughs> don't be a stranger. Um, um, and for all of our listeners, wherever you are, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. It's Charlotte from the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Now be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. All you need to do is search Unlucky Frog Gaming. You can also show your support for the Unlucky Frog through Patreon. To find out more information, check out our website, www.unluckyfrog.com. Thanks. Bye.